Welcome back to Search for DOS. On this episode, we welcome on Rabbi Dr. Abadi. He is a senior rabbi of the Jewish Council of the Emirates in the United Arab Emirates. Dr. Abadi, Rabbi Dr. Abadi, and I met a couple weeks ago while I was visiting the United Arab Emirates. I was there on a delegation led by the American Jewish Committee, AJC. And the point of the trip was to celebrate the second anniversary of the Abraham Accords and to open AJC's first office in the region outside of Israel. It was a momentous occasion and one that brought an incredible series of meetings. One of those meetings was with Rabbi Dr. Abadi. I was struck by the story, his life story. And as you'll soon hear, it is remarkable. It's really a a story of triumph. And I wanted for him to come on and tell his story and for all of us to think of what's happening in the region through his eyes. And I, I recognize that the, the podcast starts with about 10 minutes of uh, Rabbi Abadi talking about his story. And it is, it's a long period of time on a podcast to just listen to one person. But I urge you to just sit back and really journey, go along a journey with him. Because understanding where he came from and the experiences that his family went through in Syria, in Lebanon, and being forced out of those countries, and then to later in life be invited back to the region to become the head rabbi of a of an uh, Arab nation, a, na- a nation that is official religion is Islam, and historically, um, or at least for the past, um, for the history of the UAE, has not welcomed Jews in officially. He is now the head of that. It's a truly remarkable story. I'm so excited for everyone to be able to hear from him. So without further ado, I pass along to our guests for this episode. Rabbi Dr. Abadi, welcome to Search for DOS. I'm so excited to have you on. We, I had the pleasure of meeting you a few weeks ago in the United Arab Emirates through the American Jewish Committee delegation that visited to celebrate the second anniversary of the Abraham Accords and to officially open the Abu Dhabi office. And you were one of the individuals we met. Your story inspired me and I wanted to make sure that you came on to search for DOS, shared your story, and shared exactly what's happening in the region and specifically the UAE and why it's so significant for the region and for Jews everywhere. So Rabbi Abadi, welcome to Search for DOS. Thank you very much, uh, Taylor. It was really a pleasure to uh, meet you when you were here in the UAE, to welcome you and welcome the AJC group and to join you at several of the events uh, that you had. I'm so happy that you uh, enjoyed your stay, you learned a lot, and you saw uh, the beautiful country and uh, the beautiful society that it exists uh, here. Well, let's, uh, let's jump right into it. I'd love to hear from you a bit of your story. Where, where... Welcome back to Search for DOS. Right, let's start from the beginning. All right, I will start. Uh, my story is long, but I'll try to make it as short as, as possible. Um, I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. My uh, parents were from Aleppo, Syria. 
Jewish refugees from Aleppo, Syria, that they had to escape Syria after the establishment of the State of Israel and the partition plan vote at the General Assembly of the United Nations. Uh, when for three days in 10 Arab countries, they rose against their Jewish population. Uh, and of course, they took revenge on the, the Jewish population for the vote at the United Nations. This was November uh, 30th, December 1st, and December 2nd of 1947. My parents living in Aleppo at that time, that exactly happened uh, the same as it happened in many other Arab countries, as I mentioned. Uh, the mobs entered the Jewish neighborhood, entered synagogue, burned them, burned uh, Torah scrolls, burned uh, uh, religious books, uh, entered Jewish businesses, they looted them, entered Jewish homes, and they mutilated people. Uh, I understand that in Syria that day, 75 people were killed. Uh, Jews were killed. My parents lived right next door to the synagogue, and my father was in his business, who was a, uh, a, um, a import and exporter of British textile. My mother was seeing from the balcony uh, all what was happening, and then she saw how they took the rabbi from inside the synagogue and they dumped him in the street, and the entire mob entered into the synagogue and destroyed. Uh, and aided, aided, believe it or not, by the by the security uh, officers of the Syrian government, by the police, they were aided to 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 climb over Jewish homes and Jewish businesses and synagogues. Uh, then my mother saw that the people were trying to uh, climb over the building where she lived, and uh, she panicked, of course, and she decided to leave to take my three older siblings from the home, leave from the back door because she had a back door and she was able to escape to her parents' house and from there to escape Syria. Uh, my father uh, stayed uh, in Syria for another two years, going back and forth, back and forth to Lebanon, all, uh, clandestinely, of course, because uh, the, the borders were already closed for any Jew. No Jew can, can, can live. They were kept kind of prisoners. Uh, my father, as I said, escaped several times as he would come back to Lebanon to meets to see my mother to give her money what she needs to see what you know all what she needs and he would go back to to uh, to his business in Aleppo hoping that one day he'll that my mother will return but as two years passed and uh, one afternoon as my father was in his uh, business uh, one of the officers of the Syrian government also came who knew him from before and told him that uh, they know about his uh, back and forth back and forth trips to Lebanon and he is supposed to arrest huh. him and jail him for that. Uh, and he told him, but I will come back tomorrow morning to arrest you. My father understood the message uh, that he better escape and never come back. And he took small attache case with his religious uh, books and, you know, filling and, and toilet and, and maybe pajama and a few things. And he ran to the... Um, to the train station who he knew the conductor who was helping him escape back and forth in the last two years and he told him the story that this would be the last time and he told him very fine i will put you in a uh, in a wagon of the um, of the cargo the sheep the cows the whatever you know they had in that it was not a seat he says because i cannot sell you a ticket and, and nor you could be sitting because once we get to the Syrian border, they will be checking passports and permits. And once you get to the Lebanese passport, the Lebanese border will be the same thing. So we may as well hide in that uh, car of the train and there will be inspections. So it will be at night. And uh, once they come enter into the, the, that car, you better hide somewhere behind a crate or something that they shouldn't see you because if they will see you, you and I will be killed. And that's exactly what happened. They got to the border, middle of the night. It was over a 10-hour trip uh, from Aleppo to Lebanon uh, on a train. Um, they started inspecting the, the, the car where my father was. My father had to hold his breath because no, no noise could, could, uh, could, you know, could give him up, give, give him away, so to speak. And, uh, and he made it that morning. And so they lived in Lebanon. I was born there 10 years, 11 years later. 
Um, and in Lebanon, the life wasn't bad, was tranquil. Uh, we were Syrian refugees. Lebanon never gave us uh, uh, citizenship. We were always refugees. Uh, and but we lived, we lived tranquilly. The government tried to be good to us, good to the Jewish community. My father became a rabbi of the community there in, in Lebanon. And uh, we experienced, well, my family experienced the 1956 Sinai uh, operation. And then they experienced a mini revolution in Lebanon in 1958. I personally experienced the Six Day War also. And I remember vividly uh, that time we had to hide. We had to be very careful. We did not know who are our friends, who are our enemies. And we were afraid that if something happened, they'll take the revenge again against the Jews. But thank God nothing happened. The government did protect us. Then uh, Black September took place in September 1970 when um, the King Jordan and Arafat had semi-civil war in Jordan. Arafat and his guerrillas were expelled. No Arab country would take them. Uh, and then uh, Lebanon was forced to take them, uh, to take Arafat and his guerrillas into Lebanon. And they, they arrived. And once they arrived, we started seeing almost every week uh, marches, protests in the streets with Kalashnikovs, with all the, the Arafat's guerrillas protesting against Israel, against the Jews. So we knew that life for the Jews in Lebanon was no longer going to be safe. And many families started leaving. In fact, many families started leaving after the Six Day War. Now, that was at a time Lebanon may have had 15 to 20,000 Jews. By then, it went down to maybe five, 6,000, 7,000. Uh, until one day, one Sunday morning, we woke up and we saw a picture of my father and the other two rabbis of Lebanon that they formed the Beddin, the Jewish religious court. There was that picture plastered all over the mosques in Lebanon, uh, also printed in a magazine with an article with a caption saying, these are the Zionist agents that are helping Israel. And you know, when you have your picture with your caption, saying that in an Arab country, you basically are a target for assassination with impunity. And so, of course, my father and the other two rabbis hid in their home for several weeks until the government kind of promised them protection. And uh, then they started going out into the street. But my mother said, this is it. We are leaving this country. I'm starting to feel this insecurity that I felt in Syria and unless we leave, you know, we could either be killed or be imprisoned again, like it happened in Syria. She, my mother used to be able to see, to see the future, so to speak. So my mother immediately took that article, sent it to my oldest brother who lived in Mexico by then. He had left five years earlier for the new world. My father had sisters and cousins in Mexico. So she told him, either you take us out of here or we're going to be killed. Now we could not leave Lebanon because we were refugees. And so we needed what's called a laissez-passer, a travel document, that no country will accept us as refugees because then they will have to resettle us. So we, we were kind of semi-prisoners in Lebanon because we couldn't leave to any other country unless a country says, yes, I'm willing, I'm willing to accept us. So that's why my mother asked for my brother. It took my brother six months to, uh, to get that... Um, asylum in Mexico uh, approved. And finally, by Passover 1971, we got the news that, um, that we, are, we are welcome to go to Mexico. So of course, that Passover, I remember it very well. I was a little kid, but it was, uh, it was a new freedom. It, 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 had, it regained a new, a new meaning, that Passover for us. No longer being freed from slavery in Egypt, but being freed from persecution in, in Lebanon. And so I went to Mexico. I grew up in Mexico until the age of 18. Then I uh, uh, moved to the United States to study. I wanted to become a doctor, not a rabbi, actually. I wanted to study religious studies because my father was a rabbi, but I was not looking to be a professional rabbi, so to speak, but a, a physician. I... Um, I um, did not want to study in Mexico because over there I had to go to school on a Sabbath, on Shabbat, on holidays, 
take tests, laboratories, and I was not willing to compromise my religious uh, belief and my faith. And so I found Yeshiva University in the United States, which is a university that has a medical school, and you don't have to, uh, to, to, to do work on, on, on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. And so, so I went to the United States all by myself at the age of 17, 18, and uh, studied there. And lo and behold, before I became a doctor, I became a rabbi also. <laughs> while I was waiting to become a U.S. citizen to be able to be admitted to the U.S. to American medical schools. So, and then I got married and I settled and uh, I built five communities in different agents in, in Chicago and in Florida and in New York and uh, Bell Harbor, Long Island, in Manhattan, several places. And uh, I grew with the communities, very prestigious communities. My last one was the Edmund J. Safra community in in Manhattan, and I was involved with uh, many Jewish organizations, the, the well-established ones in the United States, the World Jewish Congress, uh, Conference of Presidents, uh, uh, AJC. Also, I was uh, involved, uh, participated in many of the of the um, uh, diplomatic seders. Uh, I used to, uh, to to participate and participate in the leading of those seders. And so I was very, very involved in the Jewish life uh, in the United States. And also, uh, I became the president and I founded one of the organizations called JJAC, Justice for Jews from Arab Countries. And I became its president. Uh, and that is to seek uh, recognition, redress, and justice for those Jews that numbered almost over a million that were, were, that were either expelled, persecuted, imprisoned, uh, at the heel of the establishment of the state of Israel by 10 Arab countries um, and uh, we're seeking justice for that. Uh, those 10 Arab countries who had almost over 1 million people, uh, now they're down to uh, less than 10,000 people. Which I think is history that, so I'm 35, for a Jewish person born in the late 80s, early 90s, specifically American, that's a history that we don't. Fascinating. Um, or was really forced out of Lebanon and you ended up going to Mexico. Was, was Israel on the radar? Was that an option that you all considered? Well, so yes, first, uh, yeah, that history, unfortunately, is not well known. Um, and those who know it kind of keep it quiet. Uh, it's, a, it's a syndrome that happened to the survivors of, of the Holocaust that for the first several decades, they really did not want to talk about it. And then it's only 30 or Senior rabbi, senior rabbi of the Emirates, senior rabbi of the Jewish Council. Force with that knowledge. Now, uh, yes, and that did shape, did shape my persona, so to speak. Um, uh, and uh, and as you said before, we speak what brought me here because to me is kind of closing the circle. But we'll speak about it uh, a bit later. And so. Um, so as to your question, um, go to Israel because we were refugees. And, and first of all, uh, it was uh, prohibited to travel from Lebanon to Israel uh, until today. That prohibition exists until today. People that have traveled to Israel, even tourists that have traveled to Israel and they are Lebanese, even if they have another passport, they have been put in prison in, Le in Lebanon. Even until today, I know a few people that were held because of that. So we could not go to Israel because, as I said, we could not leave Lebanon until a country could accept us because we were refugees. And so we could not get to say, oh, Israel is accepting us as refugees. That would be illegal. We would not be able to leave the country. And so that's why Israel did not figure in the... Well, Israel was always in the horizon. But once we got to Mexico, as I said, my father had three sisters. They all had their families, their children, the grandchildren, my 
if I tell you half of the Jewish community in, in Mexico were cousins, second cousins, third cousins of, of mine. So it was kind of once you get there, you have the family that you haven't seen in 30 years, some of them, when they escaped Syria before that. And so Israel, unfortunately, became more of a distant future. Jumping from Arab country to Arab country, trying to exist, but getting forced out. And now you are the, uh, please hit me with the official title on. Senior Rabbi, Senior Rabbi of the Emirates, Senior Rabbi of the Jewish Council. Senior Rabbi of the Emirates. Okay. So uh, <laughs> explain, explain to me, and, and are you doing that uh, officially? Are they, is this the official role here? Are they allowing you there? Yes, of course. Well, it, maybe now will be the time to tell you the story. What is it that brought me here? Uh, and I also will try to, to, to make it short. It started really, the story started over 12 years ago. I was leading a trip to Spain with uh, 52 uh, uh, Jewish uh, members of uh, several communities in, the, in, in New York. We went uh, to discover Jewish heritage trip to Spain. And as I was speaking in many, one of the many lectures that I gave there to the group about the Abrahamic religions, about the coexistence between these religions, about the exchange of ideas, of philosophy, uh, about comparative uh, religious principles, and that there was what's known as the as the golden uh, the golden era of Spain, which was the commingling of these three Abrahamic religions: Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam. Of course, there were good times and bad times, but in all, there was a period of of great uh, exchange of of ideas, of of customs, and things like that. So, so one gentleman told me, "Well, uh, that's fascinating what you're speaking." He says, "I have been doing business with the Emirates." and the Gulf for now 20 years. This was 12 years ago. He said, and that's exactly what they want to do. They want to kind of recreate that era where all the Abrahamic religions can be together, can coexist, can, can, can embrace each other. And uh, I'm sure the leaders of, of, of the Emirates would love to meet you and just speak with you and just uh, so they could get to know you. I said, you know, by all means, with pleasure. He said, whenever they come, to, uh, to the States, to New York. I'll try to see if I can make uh, meetings between you and them. I said, with pleasure. And indeed, over the years, several came. We met uh, at my synagogue. I would show them Hebrew books, uh, you know, religious books written in Arabic uh, by several of the sages. One of them was Rabbi Saadia Gaon, who was, uh, was known as the, as the, the, the chief uh, uh, exilarch rabbi of, uh, of the Middle East. Uh, he lived in the year uh, 900 to, 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 uh, to, the, to 1000. Uh, he wrote many of his he, you know, religious books in Arabic. In fact, he translated and interpreted the entire Bible in Arabic. So I would show them that. They were fascinated. I would show them the writing of Maimonides, who he wrote several treaties in Arabic. In fact, the book, uh, the book, uh, um, uh, the guide uh, to the perplexed, the original language was in Arabic, not in Hebrew. And he wrote several of his other treaties in Arabic. So I would show them some of them that were fascinated. I would even show them the books of Rabbi Yosef Hayim, who was a chief rabbi of Baghdad over a hundred years ago. And he also wrote uh, religious books in Arabic. And so, different periods in history showing them that, you know, Arabic was a language that our sages, our rabbis used in even in religious books. So they were fascinated and kind of, we kept in touch and, and nothing really, whenever they would come, they would invite me to an event. If they had in Washington, I would attend or they in New York, I would attend. Um, and we kept kind of uh, connected that way as a friendly, friendly connection. Um, three years ago, this same gentleman, said to me and we became friends you know since then he says you know i would like to to bring a torah scroll to the emirates in memory of sheikh zayed who is the founding father of the emirates and i want you to bring it yourself with me and present it to the crown prince at that time was sheikh Mohammed bin zayed his highness and now of course he is the president of the emirates so uh, we organized a trip for uh, February 2019. We arrived into the UAE 
and it was the holiday of Purim. We celebrated the holiday with a very, very small community of maybe 100 people or less uh, at that time in the villa that they had in Dubai. Uh, and we celebrated with the Torah school. And I brought the Torah school with the Sephardic style, Middle Eastern style, that it's a stand, I don't know if you have seen it, with a beautiful, beautiful uh, case inscribed in memory of Sheikh Zayed. We celebrated the holiday of Purim, but unfortunately the crown prince could not receive us at that time. He had some uh, urgent matter to attend to, I think a travel. And he said, let me call you in the next few months, we'll, we'll, we'll set a different date. We went back to, to, to the States and a few months later, he called us again. He said, yes, now you could come. So we scheduled for, it was around Thanksgiving 2019. So we came again, we went to uh, Abu Dhabi, he welcomed us in his palace, he invited his family, we had another whole celebration there, uh, we gave the presentation, he saw it, he was uh, very, very uh, pleased and honored to see it. I had a private conversation with him for 15 to 20 minutes, we reminisced about Lebanon, because uh, he told me that uh, as a child, his parents used to take him to Lebanon, to the mountain resorts, for summer, the same resorts that I used to uh, uh, write, it's called Pamdun, where my father was the rabbi of the town, you know, of that resort, so the whole town, Pamdun. So we, we joked uh, saying, you know, maybe we ran into each other in the arcade or in the ice cream parlor or, or the train station, you know, things like that. We were almost are the same age. So, uh, so we were in. When you're presenting that, that Torah scroll. And by the way, I another touch point. Where does that scroll now live? Now, did that, will that scroll go to the Abrahamic houses? And can you give us a, a explanation of what that is going to be? Right. So, yes, definitely. It was a very emotional uh, moment. Um, the, we looked at each other uh, eye to eye. In the movie, you may be able to catch one of those scenes in which we are both looking at each other eye to eye. We understood each other. We understood the importance of that moment because that moment wasn't just a private moment between him and I or this presentation of the Torah scroll. By then, it was, we knew, few people, that things were happening with the state of Israel, that there's going to be some movement taking place mm. in the near future. And so we knew that that moment is kind of the door opening for a great future. And so that moment, that was very, very important. It wasn't just a ceremony of the Torah school, but although, of course, it was because what the Torah represented, even to his highness, uh, was, was all about Judaism, all about the Jewish people, all about uh, love, uh, peace, harmony, coexistence. That's how we both saw it. And that's what everybody in the room felt that indeed is, is a moment of, of rapprochement between Arabs and Jews and between Muslims and Jews and between eventually 
the UAE and Israel. Um, and so it was a very, very emotional and important. It was a seminal moment, let's put it that way. Now, did that, will that scroll go to the Abrahamic houses? And can you give us a, a explanation of what that is going to be? So that scroll is in Abu Dhabi and we use it during the high holidays and we we pass it from one prayer place to another prayer place. So so we don't know exactly, most likely the scroll might go to the Abrahamic house. Now the Abrahamic house was the idea that was thought even at that time in 2019 and before, which was the year of tolerance uh, that the UAE declared in which they signed the um, uh, human fraternity document between the Pope and uh, Imam Tayyip from Al-Azhar University and also the great Imams here in the UAE. There were presence of rabbis at that moment in which really brought again together the three Abrahamic religion dedicated to human fraternity, dedicated to coexistence, to peace, to, to tolerance. And as you know, I rather use the word uh, uh, acceptance and embrace more than tolerance. Uh, and I know even the leaders here, they don't like the word tolerance, but they use that word because that's the word that's being used in, in the West. So, uh, but it's because it's more than just tolerance, it's, it's coexistence, is 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 embrace, is acceptance. And so, yes, so the idea of, of creating a campus where there is a synagogue, a church, and a mosque, uh, using the same campus, each one a separate building where the three religions can come, can learn from each other, can uh, coexist in harmony, can can uh, exchange ideas, opinions. Again, recreating that uh, golden era of Spain that had I was speaking about. So, for those who haven't been to the UAE recently, this is a construction site currently pretty close to compete to completion that is on the main road from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. And these are massive structures. So a church, a synagogue and a mosque. And on top of the synagogue is a large menorah. And it's you can see this from from quite far away. And it was it was quite quite the feeling driving. We, we had no tour guide announcing on your left are the Abraham houses. And it was, it, it just, we just saw it emerge. And um, one of our, our team um, delegation members said, Hey, look on the left. And it was, it, it's going to be an incredible, just, just uh, presence in that country. And then throughout the region and the symbolism is, is immense. So, how, do you have having? I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw out some words here and, and, and make some assumptions that you, through that family tradition, you have some real trauma from living in um, in the region and not being accepted and kicked out. Like, what 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 do you think has changed in the region? Um, because I think still in America, when I you know when I told people I was going to the UAE specifically doing it on behalf of the Jewish people, AJC, there's still concern or confusion at least. So what's changed? I guess it could be called as trauma, but they, they, they are memories, they are experiences that I had as a child and I kind of live and relive the experiences of my parents as they told me about them many times and I have told about them many, many times. But to me, uh, I remember, again, as a very, very young uh, lad, in 1965, uh, my father was a rabbi in, in, in Lebanon, in Beirut, and they had inaugurated a new synagogue in 1965 in Beirut. A new synagogue was the second largest synagogue of, of, uh, in Lebanon, where my father was the rabbi. And we were able to use that synagogue only for very, very few years, very few years. And then we had to escape. And then, of course, the war came and that synagogue was completely destroyed. So I don't think that synagogue lasted more than 10 years standing. And it was new. And so here to me, coming back into an Arab country in which I am welcome, 
in which I am embraced, in which I am given a, 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 a position in a sense, and then helping design actually the interior of the synagogue and the Abrahamic house. I helped with the verses, the seating, where to put things, you know, because they, you know, they don't know what a synagogue has from inside. So I was asked, so I'm the one who designed, in fact, I'm the one who suggested the name. The name of the synagogue is Ibn Maimon, Maimonides, which I thought would be the, the most indicated personality that represent this commingling, this coexistence. And so for me, uh, on one hand, uh, remembering that beautiful synagogue that was built for my father uh, when he was a rabbi, and then we did not really enjoy it for a very few years, and that was destroyed. To come back here to an Arab country decades later, decades later, 50 years later, and, uh, and participate kind of in a building of a new synagogue with designing the interior with pride, with happiness, with a welcome. And so to me, it's kind of a vindication. It's a vindication and it's a closing the circle. It's a vindication because I feel here we were kind of persecuted, expelled, forced out, had to run for our lives. And here we are being welcomed back. We're not coming through back channels. We're not coming through hiding. We're not uh, clandestinely. And no, we are welcomed with open arms, open doors, uh, and and embraced, being embraced to come back. So to me, as I said, is a vindication that we do belong in this region. That Jews have been in this region for thousands of years, thousands of years, um, at least three thousand, and uh, we're coming back fully with honor and, and, and respect and pride and embrace. So that to me is, uh, is very, very special. One, one thought that kept emerging during our trip in the UAE and the sessions that we held and the meetings that we, were, uh, we took part in was that the, the Emiratis expressed this, this realization that, that Jews are are a cousin is 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 this, you know the same coming from the same family and that Israel is 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 a neighbor is is truly part of of the region and a element that um, should not be ignored that should be embraced to your point acceptance what 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 are the things that have changed why you know. 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago, that thinking didn't exist. How, I guess what I'm trying to drive at is for future generations, like, is there a playbook that can be followed in order to um, repair relations to a point where they're quote normal? And I think that that, that word normal has almost a negative connotation, like in, in modern time, no one wants to be normal, right? Um, as it, you know, considered normal. But I think when it comes to relations between countries, normal is good. And I, what I experience over there, at least as an American Jew there, and increasingly it seems like how the Emiratis talk about the Israeli, relations are, are normal. And so is there a playbook? Like what, what happened um, to make it, make the environment what it is today? Right. So first, yes, the word normalization, if you notice, it's not called a peace treaty. It's called normalization. And as the officials from, from the UAE have, have mentioned uh, publicly, this is not a peace treaty, they said, because we were never at war with Israel. Mm. The peace treaty. It's a normalization because it's normal to have relations with the other countries in the world, specifically a country that's in your region, specifically that it's a country that is advanced, that it's modern, specifically a country that you could you could benefit, have mutual benefit. So it's normal to have relations, and that's where the word normalization came uh, came from, and not a peace treaty. Now, uh, life uh, between Jews uh, and Muslims, or Jews and Arabs. Uh, for the last 1400 years um, has had very good times and has had bad times. Uh, it's, it was ups and downs, but generally speaking, Jews lived comfortably 
Jews were able to 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 keep their faith, um, and Jews were the merchants, were the physicians, were the advisors to the caliphs, were the finance ministers to the caliphs. So there was plenty of good times in the last 1400 years between Jews and Arabs or Jews and Muslims in this, in this region. Uh, Jews lived in Saudi Arabia long before the advent of Islam uh, for centuries. Uh, and Jews, not in the UAE, the UAE did not exist as a country, but in Saudi Arabia and the Hejaz area in Mecca and in Medina, Jews, Jews, Jews lived. And in all of North Africa, Jews lived also for if not, if not centuries and millennia. In Iraq, in Syria, the, the, the synagogue that I was telling you about in Aleppo, Syria, it is believed to have been uh, established by King David's minister of war when he conquered Aleppo, went all the way up to Aleppo bordering uh, Turkey. He established that synagogue, of course, over the 3,000 years there was renovations, but it's believed that's the same synagogue. Uh, in Baghdad, the Jews have been there for 2,500 years. In Persia, likewise, 2,500 years from the exile of the first temple, which took place over 2,500 years ago. In Yemen and in Ethiopia, it is believed that some of the Jews date back from King Solomon 3,000 years ago when Queen of Sheba uh, came to visit him and he may have sent some businessman advisors with her to live there and help in her kingdom. Uh, Morocco, likewise, uh, 2,000, 2,500 years ago. So all of the, 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 the North, uh, North Africa. So Jews have been part and parcel of this entire region, going from Iran, Persia, all the way to Morocco and all the countries in between. We were indigenous to the area. We were part of the area. We helped develop the area. We were part and parcel of this whole region. So what happened 73 years ago was abnormal. Uh, the expelling of the Jews was abnormal. The ostracizing and imprisoning Jews was abnormal. Yes, in the last 1400 years, there were ups and downs. There were times in which, in which the Jews were forced to wear the yellow star in Arab countries. And that was long before, before the yellow star in Europe. In fact, the yellow star in Europe was copied from the yellow star in, 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 uh, in North Africa 400, 500 years ago. So there were times, and then the Jews were known as the dhimmis, the dhimmis, you know, what they had to pay a poll tax. So there were good times and there were also bad times. But on and all, they were able to live together. Yeah, skirmishes, but unlike in Europe, that there were many expulsions of Jews from many countries and many cities, and there were pogroms and there were persecutions more uh, constantly. Than Middle East and and, uh, and North Africa, so it is normal for Jews and Arabs to live together. It is normal for Jews and, uh, and Muslims to live together, to work together, to exchange ideas together. So that, to me, is not new. What's new is that in the last seventy-three years, that was a taboo. Uh, Jews were expelled. Jews were persecuted. But that was an abnormality. The normal is to live together. So now that it's normal and Jews and, and Emiratis are, are once again engaging and having real relationships from you doing exactly that. What, what are some of the things that you've, you hear from them that they're most curious about with regards to specifically you or the Jewish people? And are there any preconceptions? Are there any assumptions that they have that you have had to help them work through and vice versa for you and your assumptions? So, so I think the impetus for this normalization uh, was for several years of, of deep thought by the leaders. Uh, from what I understand uh, and had some conversations with some socialites here and some leaders uh, that they came to the realization that Islam was being fanaticized, was being radicalized, and, uh, and if that is going to continue, it will engulf the entire region and the entire Arab world in flames. It will be completely destroyed, and that will extend 
to the destruction to the rest of the world. They came to the realization they needed to fight radical Islam, uh, jihadist Islam, and they were uh, very, very uh, concerned that that's the Islam that the West was seeing. And they believed that Islam is a religion of peace. The word Islam comes from Salam, Salam comes from Shalom. And so Islam is a religion of peace and it's a religion which tolerates and accepts other people. And the proof to that, I was told, is that Jews and Muslims lived together for 1400 years, most of the time peacefully. And if they didn't, it was mostly issue of leaders, dictators, not, not necessarily religion. There might be some religious leaders who were against that. But all in all, they wanted to show the face of true Islam, which is a religion of peace, a religion of coexistence. And if they wanted to do that, they needed to fight it. They needed to prove it. And that was one of the impetus in coming to the realization. And then they also came to the realization that what happened 73 years ago is a political issue. It should not be a religious issue and should not be a, a nation to nation issue. It's a political issue between Israel and the Palestinian Arabs. It's something that needs to be fixed and they want to help in, in fixing it, but that should not really uh, uh, prevent is Muslims around the world or other Arab countries from establishing normal relations to help actually in bringing peace between Israel and, and the Arab Palestinians. And so that, that was the second. But the third one is, of course, uh, cooperation. You know, countries uh, can help each other, can have mutual interests. Uh, Israel has a lot to offer to the region. The region has a lot to offer to Israel. It would be foolish, as I was told, not to have relations with country in, in your region that you could help each other, that could both, could both can benefit. And so just for a political issue that can be resolved better if we are all together and not separated. Many of them have told me that they felt blinded mm. by these 73 years with fake news, with maligning Israel and the Jews, with, with falsehood, basically falsehood. And they're so happy now that the blindfolds were removed and they're able now to learn more about Israel and more about Jews. Uh, and they are very, very, very thirsty to learn more about that. I have a lot of, not just Emiratis, but even other Muslims uh, and other Arabs uh, from the entire region, from Egypt, from Lebanon, from Syria, from Jordan, from Iraq, from Morocco, from uh, uh, Libya, from Tunis, I have a lot of these friends that live here, very, very dear friends of mine. And we speak openly and they're very thirsty to learn more and more because they felt that they were blinded for 73 years. Everything was negative. They couldn't learn. They couldn't see. They couldn't speak. And now they have this opportunity to learn. And they have found so fascinating that Islam and, Judah and, and Judaism, sister religions that are compatible 85 to 90 percent of the laws are pretty much the same. It's only, you know, 10%, 10 to 15% of those laws differ, but the rest are pretty much the same. So that to them has been fascinating and they have been learning about it and we have been exchanging ideas and, 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 and customs and, and traditions. And it's truly, truly fascinating. That's what has brought. Do you see that normalization spreading? Absolutely. I do see that normalization spreading. Uh, of course, we want it to be faster than, than what it is, but uh, it will happen. It's not a question of if, but it's a question of when. So um, could you pick of that 10% that's different? What's an example uh, of that? Well, we have, we have the Sabbath, they have Friday, right? <laughs> Uh, we have our holidays, they have their own holidays. But when it comes mostly to belief in God, uh, believe in the oneness of God, it's exactly the same. Out of the 13 principles of faith that Maimonides promulgated, 11 are exactly the same. The only two that we differ is that we uh, hold that Moses was the greatest of all uh, prophets. And Islam holds Muhammad was the greatest of all prophets. We hold of the immutability of the Torah, right? 
unchangeable. They hold that the Quran is immutable. But the rest, they're all the same. Believing in prophecy, believing in God, and the oneness of God, and incorporeality of God, so on, and believing in the world to come and reward and punishment, it's all exactly the same. So uh, that's what really brings us closer to each other. We're recording this in the middle of the high holidays. Um, Rosh Hashanah just passed. Bring us into what it was like celebrating that in Abu Dhabi. Well, uh, since I came, the amount of Jews have more than tripled. I came here, there was 150 to 200 Jews. Now we have over 600 Jews that we know of. There might be another thousand or two thousand that we don't know of yet, or they have not yet declared themselves, so to speak. And so, of course, when I came here, there was maybe one place of prayer. Now we have five, six places of prayers. The city is that Dubai is big and Abu Dhabi is big. Uh, big cities, Jews live in many different areas. There isn't a Jewish neighborhood yet. Uh, and so wherever there are Jews, they have to, they, they make a place of prayer. And so to see now six places of prayers in Dubai alone um, is very inspiring. Uh, different uh, different uh, communities, different people, different locations. And they're all praying um uh, on the open, so to speak, uh, with pride and, and uh, without anything, without any hindrance whatsoever. Have, have you, when we were on the AJC trip, one of the conversations that kept re reoccurring was uh, many Israelis are traveling to the UAE, not as many Emiratis are traveling to Israel. One big reason is there's just a lot more Israelis than Emiratis, but have you spoken to any Emirati who has gone to Israel and uh, learned about what their impression was of the country? Yes. Well, I'll tell you that when I arrived here, it was really in the in the deep uh, year of the COVID. And so many Emiratis wanted to travel to Israel. Israel was closed. The UAE was most of the time open. So that's why it helped only a one-way flux of, of tourism and not the other way. Many Emiratis wanted to go to Israel, but they couldn't because it was closed. So one reason is that. The other reason, of course, the, the, the proportion of population. There's only one and a half uh, million Emiratis when you have nine million Israelis or so. And so that's one. Three, Israelis are known to be explorers. You know, if you go to the Himalayas, you're going to find Israelis. If you're going to go to the Andes or the Machu Picchu, you're going to find Israelis. You go to Timbuktu, you're going to find Israelis. Uh, but Emiratis are much more, uh, uh, how shall I say, uh, they're not explorers in the sense they will go to uh, end of the world to see something. They like to travel in a place in which it's known, it's uh, touristy, they could learn something. Now, there have been, of course, Emiratis that have traveled to Israel, and they all come back fascinated by what they see, the culture, the tradition, the beautiful country, the openness of the country. And many of them says, wow, you know, we've missed, we missed, we missed uh, all this place for the last 73 years, but we're so glad and happy that uh, that now we have the opportunity to, to go. There are already Emirati students learning in Israel. There is an University of Haifa, there is an Reichman University, which is uh, the, the one in Netanya, uh, and there is also an Ariel University. And so there are, there are, and I'm sure there'll be much, many more in many different universities that they are studying there full time. So yes, it, it is taking place. I'd love to pull back up to both the, the, the title of, of, of the podcast is Search for DOS, and that selection was deliberate. The goal of, of trying to obtain trying to understand a higher level of wisdom and 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 with the hopes of that will then usher in um good things for lack of a better word what walk us through the the dos if you will that you've obtained through the years through through your studies through becoming a rabbi and like what 
What has been crucial to get you through the rough times that you you talked about earlier on in terms of your family? Um, what are some of the, the wisdom that has shaped your engagement um, in the different Jewish communities you've dealt with? Um, I'm sure even working in the States, you you uh, ran into some some challenges um, like what? You know, now now's the time bestow bestow some wisdom, be it Jewish or, or not. Well, of course, we uh, always think uh, that uh, uh, formal education are the years of our education. And the other years after that are years of our life experience. But I believe that we are students of life every day of our lives until we depart this world. Every day we learn something new. Uh, if that is an experience, if that is a thought that passes, if that is with people that we meet, every day we learn something new. And whatever we learn, we always add it to our, uh, to our knowledge and use that knowledge for the, few, you know, the life, next minute, next hour, next day, next week, and so on and so forth for the, for the future. Um, of course, perseverance, resilience is very, very important. Believing always that uh, better things will take place. Uh, believing always that whatever we do is going to make a difference in the lives of others. And it is incumbent upon us to do so. Uh, the belief that we don't live alone, but we live in a society, we live in the world. And we are all, after all, brothers of, of humanity, brothers in humanity. And therefore, we are responsible for, for each other and uh, making sure that, that the world is safe, that the world is progressing properly, that whatever we can help, we should be there to help. Uh, the more we involve ourselves uh, peacefully with many other people, the more we learn from them, the more they learn from us. The more we know them, the more they know us. And the more we know each other, the more we accept each other and we embrace each other. Um, so, all the formal education that we received, and especially we Jews that place great importance in education. When we start our children at the age of three, if not less, to say ani, to thank God when they wake up, or to say the Shema Yisrael, the, the, the beautiful sentence, accepting God that is the one God that exists. Um, education is very, very important. Formal and of course informal too. And that is what has really uh, brought us to who, where we are. There is, no, there is no other people or nation in the history of the world that has been exiled from their land for over 2,000 years. And that's not just exiled, persecuted, expelled, imprisoned, pogroms, attacks, inquisitions, expulsions, holocaust. And yet we have survived. We have survived, and not just we have survived, we have thrived, we have excelled, we have returned back to our land after 2,000 years, and it's not a shanty town, right? It was. We changed it. We made it into one of the most modern, powerful countries, advanced countries in the world. That is because of all the education that we had, and of course, the faith in God that we have. I do believe God is with us and he has protected us. He has seen us through the difficult times. And of course, he sees us now through good times and he will see us more through better times, in fact. And so when we look around and we say, oh, we see and we see, we see what's around us and we say, what is it that brought us up to here? It's that faith that we have in God. It's that education is that Torah and Judaism that we were taught since the beginning of our people and since the beginning of our lives. They believe in one God, they believe in honesty, they believe in, in the 10 famous commandments that really rule the entire world, right? Respecting the elders, not killing, not stealing, not lying, having justice. All of those principles is what brought us to where we are and it's what brought the world to where it is. I mean, the education that we have and the appreciation of education can be measured very objectively. 
if you see how many Jews have won Nobel Prizes, 26% of the Nobel Prizes have been given to Jews. Now, if you take the, the, the percentage of our population is way, 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 way more than what we represent in the thousand yeah. times. As we'd say in, in the States, we outkicked our coverage. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I would like to on, um, you just shared that the, you know, essentially the, the men's faith, we done, did something that was unprecedented, returning to our homeland after 2000 years with immense obstacles. That, that was a major feat not seen before in, in the history of the world. We're, I would say what we're doing in the UAE and what you're leading is on that same level. What's your vision? What, what's, what's it going to be like in 10 years in the UAE, UAE for Jews? Well, I believe that the population of Jews will increase significantly, and not just in the UAE, in the Gulf, as other countries will, will, will open up. Uh, Jews, as I said, are explorers, and they want to go to new places. They want to help develop the place. They want to participate. They want to contribute. They want to collaborate. And so you're going to see Jews more and more in, in those areas. I think the population, at least in the UAE, in the next five years, will probably go up to 10,000, seven to 10,000 Jews living there openly and enjoying of, uh, of life there uh, as we are welcomed uh, every day. Um, so so uh, the idea is, is to basically, you know, Jews go places again to develop them, to participate. And this place is open for that, for progress, for, for advancement in all areas of human endeavors are going to be said. And you're going to have a lot of Jews coming here to do so, to explore, to develop. And so, so that will change the entire region, will change the entire region. There will be, I believe, kind of an open uh, market, an open area going on from hopefully Turkey all the way to here and all the region in between, where Jews, Arabs, Muslim, Christians, uh, they, it will be the next, the next world, so to speak, the next uh, area of the world that will develop. I think uh, Europe has uh, come, and now I think it's now uh, uh, in the past. The United States, unfortunately, I believe it's starting to become part of the past, uh, and I think this region is going to be the future. It's going to be the it is the present now, and it's going to be it's going to be the future. It's hard to spend any amount of time in Dubai, in Abu Dhabi, and not feel like that is the future. And a, a remark that I've been sharing over and over again with my friends back here in the States is that their orientation is toward the future. It's a wonderful feeling that I had over that week there. And I do, I think the U.S. is going through immense challenges right now. And unfortunately, that orientation isn't toward the future. It's it's either just kind of fixated on the present and the issues that we're, we're facing right now or to the past. And that's just not a, a, uh, a beneficial vantage point to to hold on to for a long period of time. So I hope, uh, you know, I hope with uh, my seeing what I saw in, in the UAE that I can help my fellow Americans reorient and look toward the future. Now, I, I'd love to go on for another hour here, but I, uh, I recognize that uh, it is the high holidays and you're a busy man. And I, I want to thank you so much for making the time. I want to thank you for hosting uh, myself and all the other AJC delegates that came over a couple weeks ago. And would love to conclude with just your, if someone happens to be in the UAE for, for a week or, or specifically for Shabbat, what, do you, what should they do? Where should they go? Of course. But first of all, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to participate in your podcast. And also it was a pleasure to welcome you here when you were here with the, with the AJC group. But of course, we want to invite everybody from all over the world to please come and visit us here. Please be in touch with me. 
you want a place for Shabbat, you want to participate in our Shabbat, you just want to come and visit us, with pleasure, we welcome you and uh, we'll be more than happy to to, uh, to show you around in a sense and, and have you enjoy enjoy this area. Well, thank you so much. I seems like you know 18 languages, so um, I'll let you have the last word in, in whatever language you, you prefer. I could say Ahlan wa Sahlan. Very good. Thank you so much. And uh, look forward to having you on back on at any time. Thank you. Thank you again.